Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm honored to bring you the well-known Bill Price, who's co-authored several books that are outstanding, including The Best Service is No Service, Your Customer Rules, and The Frictionless Organization. Bill says being frictionless has become a strategic necessity. What does frictionless even mean? Why should you care? And what are simple steps to remove customer pain points and get to a frictionless state based on learnings from the most reputable brands? Well, Bill tells you how and whether you're a company that's small, mid-sized, or a large corporation, the principles are the same and it is in your control to improve experiences for everyone who interacts with your brand. In fact, customer loyalty depends on it. Before we get started, I have a request. Please share this episode with others who can benefit. Subscribe to my show on your favorite podcast channels and leave me a review. I read each one and they're so meaningful and well, feedback is a gift, so I appreciate yours. And by the way, if you want access to my podcast episodes before the general public, along with free resources, subscribe to my newsletter on my website, doingcxright.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Bill Price. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Thank you, Stacey. I'm delighted to be here. I love Doing CX Right as well, so I'm happy to be joining you for this purpose. And it's kind of funny that as I'm getting to know you and talking about CX, I'm even defining what CX is. And I realize, mm-hmm. wait, look who I'm talking to. No, I don't <laughs> need to do that with you. <laughs> so on that note, who are you? What do you do professionally? Tell my audience. Sure. No, thank you. I um, I set up a, a boutique customer experience and customer service consulting firm called Driva Solutions, Driva is a Swedish word that stands for to propel, to move forward. Uh, do that out of uh, uh, Seattle, Washington. And I've got a crew of really experienced consultants and uh, former practitioners around the United States. And I work with uh, business partners in eight other countries as well. So we support global clients too. Hmm. Why your passion around this topic? Um, I am fed up with poor customer service, poor customer experience. Some I face, I keep getting stories from friends who pour them over to me saying, you need to look into this or why is this happening? And in some cases, I can reverse engineer why it happened, but I'm still not pleased with with the the, uh, impact on friends and family. But but moreover, it's just that I've been fascinated with how customers interact with organizations and, and how it's almost like a, a, a different communication layers. The, commu- the company or organization thinks it's doing this and the, and the customer doesn't get it. They're on a different wavelength. So trying to basically bring those two into sync is what's one of my passions. Mm. What's one fact that people may not know about you? Okay. Uh, one fact they may not know about me is um, uh, I grew up in Baltimore. Uh, I've been on the West Coast for a long, long time, but I grew up in Baltimore and I'm a... 12th generation Marylander. 
So I actually did my genealogy research when I was a kid. My cousin, Jay Geyer, we used to call each other cousin. We didn't know whether we were cousins or not. So we, we traced back and our great-grandmothers were sisters. So indeed, we were cousins. And I just kept going. I kept going further and further back. And uh, so it's uh, fascinating to see the Price family so deep in Maryland. But I got away. I, I moved away to California in my 20s and, uh, and have stayed out on the West Coast. But that's one thing they probably don't know is I grew up on the East Coast. Hmm. And did you have any friction in moving to the West Coast? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was an interesting question. No, because at that time I was still uh, in the U.S. Navy. So the U.S. Navy took care of that for me. There was friction to get to the West Coast. The Navy wanted me to stay on the East Coast to finish out my tour of duty. Uh, this was between college and grad school, but I really wanted to get to the West Coast. So I kept pushing for them to get me an assignment on the West Coast, and I finally got one. So the friction was one of getting the position, but once that happened, the Navy came in and grabbed all my stuff and shipped it out, and I drove out of my little car, and it was fine. No, that 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 was actually uh, that actually worked out pretty well. So you've stated that being frictionless mm -hmm. has become a strategy, a really important one for companies. First, define what friction means to you. It's it's the question has come up a lot when when we when we reached out to about fifteen or twenty companies, Stacy, who were who are still very well respected for their customer experience and customer service. We we asked them, you know, how do you do it? Uh, and they gave us many stories. They talked about some technologies. They talked about some key individuals, but what they kept talking about was friction. In other words, they kept talking about their goal was to your previous point, how do you identify and get rid of friction? It was only later on that we came up with the flip side of it that said, well, what they really were saying is they wanted to be frictionless. So we um, we decided to flip the title around and call it uh, the frictionless organization. And, and it's hard to know that you're frictionless, but it's easy to know that you cause friction. So what we talk about in the book is how do you define, measure, and remove friction in order to become frictionless? Mm. So why do you feel that managers, leaders should care mm -hmm. about focusing on friction? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many competing deba demands on them. Sure. Well, what one litmus test that we always do as consultants, I always used to do when I was running customer service at Amazon and back at MCI before that, was was listen to what the customer is telling you. And when you listen to, either listen in on live calls or look at chat threads or listen to recorded calls, you hear a great amount of frustration from customers. You hear it in their voice. They, they go through a problem and then the agent's customer, agent, customer service agent says, well, I can't help you today. You have to call me back later. Well, that, that adds even more friction. And so most managers don't listen to their customers anymore. They read reports and they look at Pareto charts, they look at histograms, they look at summary data points, averages for things like customer SAT or net promoter score. They don't take the time to listen to what the customer is actually saying. And what customers are saying is, we're frustrated with a lot of things that your company does. When managers do hear that, it's like a light bulb goes off and they, they start getting really action oriented, but they're not quite sure where to go. How do we fix that? So that's what we try to address in the book is try to catalog how to deal with it. But most managers just don't take the time anymore, unfortunately. Certainly senior managers, even less so, don't take the time anymore to listen to customer, uh, direct customer uh, inputs to what's going on. So there's a lot of questions 
when they are listening and they are mm-hmm. getting feedback, there's a lot of questions that you can ask customers. What are some mm-hmm. of your favorite and and your recommendations to be able to dig into mm-hmm. is are you creating friction for your customer? Well, what, one way is is to ask has this happened before to you? Because that starts leading down a whole path of of repeat contacts, repeat issues. Mm -hmm. We we use the term snowballs. It was a term we invented back at Amazon for repeat contacts. So snowballs, repeat contacts are are really serious. They're they're damaging to the brand. Uh, They take a lot of time and effort. So one of the questions we ask is, has this happened to you before? Now, in fact, the company should know whether it happened to the customer before, but it's still useful to engage in the dialogue because customers will say, no, this is the first time I've had it. I've had perfect experience ever in the past. This is the first time it's been a problem. Or they may say, you know, every time I deal with this particular product or this bill or this shipment type issue, I always run across this. So that's what that's that key question to start asking. And, and then you can kind of go down the, the logic path of first time versus repeat or snowballs. Mm. You've written about the best service is no service. Right. What does that mean? Well, back in the 90s, when I was running uh, uh, some operations at, at MCI, MCI Telecommunications Company, it, it, it struck me that the companies we work with uh, and the, the both on the business customer side, the business clients we work with were ones that were, they were striving to reduce the need for contact. So I came up with this expression, the best service is no service. The best service is no need for service. In other words, things should work clearly. They should work smoothly. Uh, customers shouldn't have to bother to contact themselves for a lot of the issues. And so when I when I was interviewed by, by Jeff Bezos for this position uh, at Amazon, which became Worldwide Customer Service, VP Worldwide Customer Service, he asked me at the end of the, actually beginning of the interview, at the end of the day, but beginning of his interview, he asked, what was my philosophy for customer service? And I said, the best service is no service. And he said, yes, that's what we want to do at Amazon. We want to make things simple, easy. They work well. When we make mistakes, we fix them, but we don't want to make mistakes. So the concept of best service, no service is figure out what are some of those problems that that, that are causing mistakes and confusion and just attack them and, and just get rid of them. Hmm. How do you recommend people do that? It sounds so lovely <laughs> and it e- sounds simple, but we know it's not. It isn't. It is not simple. The, the, the first thing to do is to figure out what are those frustration points? So we call them reasons, intense reasons. They go by different names, but let's call them customer service reasons. So you split the whole range of why customers are contacting you into reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out which reasons are good for them and which reasons irritate them or frustrate them. And when you start splitting them like that, then you start zeroing in on the ones that frustrate them. And for the ones that frustrate them, and I'll give you a couple of examples in a moment here, figure out who within the organization outside of customer service either caused that to happen and or <laughs> will lead the charge to fix it. So for instance, why is my bill so high? Well, that could be because promotions were offered early on uh, in the subscription period or early on in the relationship. Those those promotions were uh, rolled off. And for some reason, the company did not tell the customer or the customer was meant to remember it that, in fact, their bill is going to go from $30 a month to $36 a month. Well, they're, they're watching their dollars and they're saying, why is my bill so high? And that's because the company forgot to or didn't even think about 
alerting them that your promotion is rolling off. It's going to go from 30 to 36. Love having you have a customer. Hope this works for you. That might have allayed some high percentage of those reasons. But that's not a customer service problem. That's a billing or product or marketing responsibility. So get that particular reason over to the correct department so they can go, aha, well, maybe we do have some ways we can reduce the need for that issue. Well, and then how do you get them to close the loop? Aha. Close the loop is so important. At at Amazon, I was really helped by a CX metric, but the CX definition, Stacey, back there was actually called customer ecstasy. That's how it was called at Amazon in the late 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. CX meant customer ecstasy. And that's what Jeff wanted. He wanted customer ecstasy, not just happiness, not just satisfaction. So in the CX orientation, what what I was lucky to have around me with, with an Amazon was once we had those reasons, we could count them, we could cost them out. And then what we did is we charged them back to the owners. We charge them back to the head of billing or to the head of IT or to someone on the web t- website design or someone in outbound shipping. So they actually bore the costs of it and when they internally. And when they bore the costs of it, they became much more engaged to provide feedback to us to go back to the customer so that we could close the loop within the company, but also back to the customer. With clients that I've worked with now over the years, some of them have gone that far Others have used a thread of it, which is usually enough. And others have just said, look, we have to work together on this. This is a, as we call it in the book, a whole of business problem. Customer service is like the big catcher's mitt. The rest of the organization has to then get that ball thrown to them so they can deal with it. And and, and then the expectation, the requirement is then you have to analyze it, research it, and then come back either through customer service or maybe even go directly to the customer. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, a, a good friend of mine used to work at Costco and and he was an executive at, at Costco Warehouse before Costco.com even came around. He said every morning he had to respond in person to customer complaints in the warehouses around the United States about his responsibility in the morning, the next morning, every one of them. And so he personally would then find out, well, what's really going on? I understand you had a problem with this, that, or the other thing. I need to get more information. Tell me more about it. This was 25 years ago. So that type of, of orientation, culture, expectation is, is really what we're talking about trying to achieve to become frictionless too. Mm-hmm. You talk about a lot of topics in that. I love it. <laughs> One thing that stands out is around accountability. Mm-hmm. And even though there's a lot of different departments that you've got to break silos and get people to work together, including their Mm -hmm. goals, their common goals. Right. And it's funny, you mentioned MCI uh, at that time. So I had worked for AT&T and Mm -hmm. Verizon for half my career. Mm -hmm. And something that was really, that stood out to what you're talking about is that our digital properties, people would buy online and then pick up at store. Well, mm-hmm. what happened was your retail store had different goals and metrics right. than your online team. Exactly, exactly. Ouch. Exactly. <laughs> well, and the thing is, it, it, it comes to, I look at it, that type of story in this way. Your customers know everything about your organization. Do you know what they experienced? In other words, and they may 
fill in the blanks and, and extrapolate or get a little more emotional than might be needed. But they, they are the ones who went on the website, they ordered something, they went to the store, it wasn't available or someone couldn't help them. Uh, they're the ones that have the history. Do you know their history? And that, that's really a, the rhetorical question we're trying to get companies to really ask themselves and try to figure out. Yes, and that's where then personalization comes in because right. we would know back when right. I was at Verizon that if right. you came to the site and you logged in, mm -hmm. you're an iPhone user. I'm not going to show you Android products. Right, right, right. right. No, and it, it, it's frustrating for a customer. And and I'll use I'll use that example. If you if 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 you're a Verizon customer, you just bought a new phone. Uh, and you're excited about it, and and you were instructed by the retail store or the telesales rep, whoever it was, to use the website for customer support or for issues you might have. If the first thing you saw when you come on the website is a promotion for a new phone, you just bought a phone, you'd say, well, wait a minute now, is my phone not good anymore? Or what happened here? When in fact, that was just sort of brochureware on the website that was not personalized. The personalized version would say, Welcome to our club. Thank you, Stacy, for coming on board. Here are some FAQs for you. Here's what you may see in your next, we'll call it journey. They don't call it, you know, the next step in your journey, you may need to do this or this or this. And th then you feel much more engaged in the whole process. Yes, and when that customer who bought online now goes to the mm -hmm. retail store, right? that retail store knows who that customer is, what they bought, what a great mm -hmm. opportunity to show them some accessories right? because they know what right. they bought. <laughs> right. right. Well, or, and accessories are, are a wonderful thing and also family members. You know, maybe yes. your, your spouse or friend or son or granddaughter, whatever, they're still on pick another brand. And, and if they get you happy enough with Verizon, with whatever service that is, then maybe there's also that big move of, of, of an account over. But it's only really knowing who you are, knowing what you've done with, with us so far. That's, that's what's really important. Well, going back to friction, so mm -hmm. take that same customer, they go to the store, they pick up their product. Most people are not technical in the way of knowing how to transfer their old phone data into their new one. Right. Right. So what an opportunity for a company mm -hmm. to say, oh, you just picked up your phone. Let me help you mm -hmm. transfer mm -hmm. it. Here's what we can do together. What an opportunity. Mm -hmm. it, 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 would, it would be such a game changer for that. And, and yet, as you said a few minutes ago, most retail store operations have a different metric, which is sales productivity uh, or, or some other sales type speed metric. When this is much more of a care concept, but they're there in your store. You have them. They have a new. They have a new phone. A related, you know, benefit for a customer. We can can we give you some instructions how to make sure you can sync this up in your in your car? And they might go, Wow, yeah. So by the time you leave the store, not only is your is your phone functioning, but you actually can make calls from your speaker in your car, or at least you can upload data. I mean, that type of value add is what most companies say they do but they yeah. don't necessarily follow through with it. And so customers notice when that does not happen, and that's part of friction. But what they love is when it does happen, and they may not even know that it's frictionless. That's the cool thing about this word we came up with, is, is you know when friction is there, but you don't necessarily know when it's frictionless because things just work right. They just work smoothly. Mm. That's a great example. And I will say another point of 
friction and an example for those who I guess are in a retail space or any company where you have omni-channel that I get so frustrated, friction, <laughs> that <laughs> frustrated, whatever the word is, that when I go to return a product, mm-hmm. I bought online, I go to bring it to the store to return, same company, they won't let me return it. I have ah. to leave and go send it back online. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. You're one brand. That's right. That's right. What is this? Yeah, I, I, we work with a client, Stacy, in in in, in a um, in the healthcare industry, and they did an offsite meeting. They asked me to come down to talk with them, which is really fun. Then they fanned out to a um, to a shopping mall, uh, and and each person was was equipped with a product to return or an item to return to a particular store. And there were high end stores like the Tiffany's. There were there were general retail stores like Macy's, and there was Nordstrom and a lot of other places were there. Lululemon. I mean, a whole bunch of different retail stores. And they came back afterwards and their experiences were largely what you described. This was something I bought. I had the receipt. They still wouldn't do it. Or I bought it and they didn't have the receipt and they wouldn't let me do it. But conversely, some of the other companies they went to said to them, well, it doesn't matter if you don't have a receipt. Let me look it up for you. Let me just get some information. No problem. You can return it. So that A-B comparison is so useful to to try to in in this case the company did it as their as their as their own uh, example but that, that that's the sort of thing where returns are are very frustrating it can be very frustrating but when companies do it right then you start hearing the positive stories they they re, they took it back even though I didn't have a receipt wow I'm I next time I'm gonna try to get a receipt but at least they took it back for me yeah in the CX space we talk a lot about journey mapping what's your perspective on journey mapping and mm-hmm identifying those friction points. Thankfully, now there's some pretty good software out there that allows you to do journey mapping. But even if it's traditional spreadsheet, whiteboard, Visio diagrams, we think it's really useful. I think it's very useful to do it. The, the, the challenge always is going from channel to channel, the omni-channel point that you mentioned a little bit earlier. Because a lot of journey mapping tends to be within a channel. Once you get to the to the IVR in front of a contact center, what do you do? But most customers start way before that. So if you can capture in the journey what they actually did, which might be browsing online, checking an app, navigating or dealing with a chat bot, and eventually an IVR, and eventually talking to someone in a store or a customer service center. So if it's really true journey, then that's really important. So it's it's often good it's often useful i think really important to ask customers once they reach you at a retail shop or a customer service center you know, basically where have you been again the company should know but most companies don't know and if you phrase it the right way they'll say oh this is I, this is my first time it's almost like the first contact resolution example before uh, uh, snowballs and so forth but they might say oh my gosh i tried this i tried this this didn't work and 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 so the frustration mounts up, so it can be that it can be uh, confronted. But I, I think journey mapping is is very useful. Now, one 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 PS on that one is is different customers have different journeys, so there is no single journey. So as long as it represents different variations on the theme, then you can start seeing what the real impacts are for the customer and what you can do about it. Oh, very good point. And I do like to take a small number of personas 
and mm-hmm. map out their experiences. So that's true. You can't do it for everyone. It has to be that more typical representation. The right. other thing about journey mapping is that it not only does it give appreciation of walking in that customer's shoes and problem solving, mm-hmm. but it really drives mm-hmm. internal buy-in and internal solutioning together, breaking those mm-hmm. silos in the domino effect. You agree? Oh, I really do. I really do. We 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 did work for for a client once. It was in the uh, in 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 the retail business, uh, and uh, they they had retail shops and they had online. So almost to your point earlier about Verizon in a way. And so we 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 came up. One of my one of my teammates came up with a uh, the life of a return. It actually took the position of a box being returned by the customer and where that return had to go, and where it was basically being inspected or where it got held for a while and and what triggered the refund to the customer and how late was that after the customer actually returned the product to them and and it was such a complex visio diagram that t- that took up so much time it was inevitable the customer was going was going to ask frequently along that path well where's my refund where's my money or where's my replacement if in fact a replacement would be possible and only when that was displayed on the board did those executives go, this is really complicated. We had no idea that we were putting this return, this box, through all those different issues. So you can do you can even journey mapping of, of boxes to it. It's it's it, it really can be quite illustrative. You have a methodology that you talk about in your book. And it's really that step to step-by-step guide. Um, As we're coming to the end, do you want to share any examples or uh, a preview to the movie, the preview to the book? (laughs) There there are nine steps, but let me just let me talk about one of them because it's 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 one that we have found to be incredibly powerful and and not not well understood, and that's one we call preempt. And 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 the basics it is: if you know something that your customer does not know yet, then let them know. Put them in charge of what to do about that. Don't just let them wait to figure out that a flight is delayed or a product's not going to arrive on time or the promotion is being rolled off, as I mentioned earlier. Let them know. And and with permissions, I mean, you need to have the right permissions to text them or to call them or email them or however you want to communicate with them. Maybe post something on their app, but let them know. That preempt is a way to kind of dull the the frustration. It doesn't get rid of it, but it dulls it some. And if you make it two-way, so the key thing is not just a one-way SMS or one-way email that says, you know, cannot be returned, you know, you cannot respond to this email. So it needs to be a two-way street. Open up that communication to say, we're going to let you know something that's important for you. And and we're going to allow you to give us some feedback on that if you want to. Most customers go, okay, thank you. I'll wait until you give me the final update. So preempt is one of the nine steps. We're really got some great examples of that in the book too. I love that example and communication, the emphasis Mm -hmm. on communication because of, I can't even say how many thousands of surveys and focus Mm. groups and all those that I've been involved in, how communication or lack of Mm -hmm. is the number one pain point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And that's in our control. (laughs) Just let me know. That's right. And and, and customers are saying that too. They're saying, just let me know. Just let me know and and I'll feel better about it. So. Uh, if, if products are going to be delayed, if multiple, if, if an entire batch are going to be delayed, you let the customer know. 
and yeah. and they can either make other arrangements or they can wait. But at least they won't be sitting there tapping their foot, calling you or firing off a chat message to to find out what's going on. Just just let them know. All right, one more. Give us one more. That was the first one. Tease us with the second. All right, second second one. Second one. I'll I'll tease you with is 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 called leverage. So leverage is is one where on the surface it's it's good for the customer and it's good for you to talk to each other. So it 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 there aren't too many of these examples, but one of them would clearly be tell me more about your products. Another one would would be I'm not sure if this really works for me. Can can you tell me if if this really fits my needs? Those are great questions to have, and you should basically get rid of all time stamps and 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 all limits, and just and have a good conversation, whether it's done electronically or or in person. But another one that I'll put in the leverage category, which is a confusing one to some, is I want to cancel my product or I want to cancel my account. Some companies make that real easy: punch this button and you can cancel. But other companies make it really really hard by putting you through a saves queue and making it really hard for you to leave and, and not giving your, you know, not get, letting you cancel your account or whatever it is. The middle ground is what we're seeking in leverage, which is, we're really sorry to hear about that, Stacey. You know, why, why is it that, that you need to cancel your product? Maybe we can, we can do something about that. But inside of it, they, they take that as, as the beginning of like a root cause analysis. So if, if, if a number of customers say, I need to cancel my account because my bill's always wrong or because my system keeps dropping, or because you're always late, then you can start forming these patterns. So not just try to save that customer, which is really important, but deal with other customers who may be similarly situated by really having that engagement of why. Why is this going on? Not to stop them from canceling necessarily, but to learn from from what's going on. Again, communication. So you could have them push a button that says cancel, that could be very simple, very easy, digitally click, you know, easy, uh, slick solution, but you're not learning from it. So mm-hmm. how can you learn from it? So my head goes to communication again and really mm-hmm. good training of your agents to ask the right questions right. to get to the why. They need to know that they can ask that because some agents feel yeah. pressured that they have to get to the next call or the next chat session. But mm. for the lever, so it's going back to these this differentiation among reasons. For certain reasons, you deal with them a certain way. But for leverage reasons, basically, take the time it needs and 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 really have a have a good conversation. All right. Well, getting to the end, my final questions for mm-hmm. you: If I had tons of leaders and CEOs in my room right now mm-hmm. at reputable brands, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember? I would say to them, experience your own products as a customer does, either by literally experiencing them, by buying things incognito or by watching things uh, uh, that, that happen in your, in your organization or listening to calls that are live from customers, uh, going into retail shops and, and, and listening to the conversations that happen when, when someone walks into your shop. So, Get that personal experience, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a director of marketing, whether you're a, a product manager, just get out there. One of my first white papers I wrote a long time ago when white papers were the thing was get out there. Just get out there. Move away from your office environment or if you're working from home, even move away from your home office and just get out there and experience it from the customer point of view as much as possible. Mm. 
Absolutely. And in your employee's shoes and agent shoes too. But that's oh, another oh, that, that's another it, episode. <laughs> it is another episode, but you learn about that as well at the same time. Right. Yes. And leadership advice. What's the best mm-hmm. that you've received or given? It was actually a long time ago. I started my career with McKinsey and Company, the big international consulting firm, and I worked with Tom Peters. And Tom was very very bubbly. He had lots of great quotes and examples, but he kept saying to clients of ours and even to us as consultants, if it's not broken, break it. Meaning, if you think things are working well, it may be a slippery slope down. So you have to keep challenging what's going well to make sure that it continues to go well. And you have Mm -hmm. to reinvent what you're doing so you don't become complacent. So we have an example in the book of the, the, the founder of Zoom, was actually an executive at WebEx, which is inside of Cisco. And he wanted a simpler WebEx when he was working there back in the mid-2000s, maybe 2010, 12 or something. And WebEx said, nah, you know, everything's working great. You know, we're, we're at top of the game. WebEx is a great system. People are buying it. And he couldn't convince him, so he left and formed Zoom. And he wanted to have a simpler product. So the idea was, just he he wanted to reinvent it. He wanted to shape it up. He wanted to break it, even though at that time, WebEx was doing perfectly fine. Now, Zoom is one of the leading brands and everyone's trying to chase after them. So if it's not broken, break it would be my point of view uh, because you'll learn a lot about that in the process. Final question. If mm-hmm. you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Bill Price? I would say get my hands dirty, get out of the uh, consulting, which I did do after a few years, but actually go out there and and run something, figure out mm-hmm. how it works from the inside. Um, I was glad I did that. I became CFO for a startup company that MCI acquired, which is how I got into the telecommunications world uh, as as well as the customer experience world. But but it was only because of that, uh, well, the CEO, Ken Jones, who hired me in that position that I was able to then move away from what I'd been doing in, and actually got my hands involved in things. And I, I learned so much by being directly involved. Great advice. Well, I know people are going to want to reach you and find you. And where's the best mm. place? I'll add it to the show notes. Well, we have, uh, my co-author and I have a, a book site called frictionlessorg.com. And that's a good place to learn about the book. Uh, you can find links over to to me and to my co-author, David Jaffe, who lives in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, and uh, that, that's a good way to, to get a hold of us. And my email address is always available, bill at drivasolutions.com. Uh, so both of those are good ways to reach me. Well, thank you for sharing such great wisdom today. I know people are going to benefit and I appreciate you. Thanks, Stacey. It was a really, really fun time. Thanks for your great questions and, uh, and, and, and the conversation. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.